0: Well, you may be seated, again, I want to thank you for choosing to come out and worship together with us this morning. I want to welcome our online audience as well. You stay tuned for the Word of God. We believe we have a word in store for you that'll encourage you and build up your hope and your confidence in the goodness and the promises of God's Word. We started a, a series last week entitled uh, Rock of Hope. One of y'all left your phone on. Here you go. Yeah. Anybody want a phone? <laughs> anyway, we started a series entitled Rock of Hope. So today I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. There's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed there for the church at Ephesus, which is very applicable to our lives It's found in Ephesians 1. And it's just a, a prayer that he's praying for us to have an understanding of what took place In the resurrection work of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning reading at verse 18, he said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So the prayers that we'd have an understanding, the eyes of our hearts would be open to understand the fullness of what the power of God has done in raising Christ Jesus from the dead, the display of that power in the resurrection But also, he said, I I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope. The hope that we have, the hope of our salvation, the hope of eternal life has its foundation in the, in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we are celebrating today when we are come, coming together for Easter Sunday morning or Resurrection Sunday. It's all about celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the very foundation of our faith. It's the resurrection that's the that very crux of Christianity. It's the resurrection that lifts Christianity uh, uh, that sets it apart from all other religions of the world. We have the benefit of serving a risen Savior, a Jesus who is walking with us, talks with us, said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And so we are uh, blessed uh, to be born again children of God and have Jesus Christ being with us. The resurrection power Uh, uh, provides us, this resurrection power also provides us the pattern for living life now connected to God's future new creation. The pattern for living life now while connected to God's future new generation. We are a born-again people of God. The scripture teaches us that we have received uh, the Holy Spirit as a deposit. The Spirit of God has been given to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, and it's known as an earnest or a down payment. The fullness of our salvation is not yet manifested, but we have the guarantee that it will be, and the resurrection lends itself to that. There is uh, uh, one of the daily benefits of the resurrection is that we are not following a dead and revered teacher of old but rather we have a risen lord who is with us and there's no greater hope there's absolutely no greater hope possible than to believe that Christ was resurrected from the dead and when we understand this great fact of history then even when even When you find things in life looking hopeless, you're experiencing what appears to be hopeless. Things are going dark. This hope becomes a light for you. And when all other lights appear to have gone dim on you, they've gone out on you. So I'm going to invite you now to turn to the gospel of John chapter 20. And we want to look at uh, the life. We're going to look at uh, Thomas's to the resurrection. There's other disciples listed in chapter 20. As a matter of fact, if you read chapters 20 and 21, it's a great and it's a, it's a fun exercise to do, especially if you're into uh, studying and, and and you're one of those fans of the engrams or other types of personality profiling. This is you can might uh, enjoy doing this because uh, uh, just in chapter 20 alone, we have uh, we have Thomas, we have Peter and John, and we have Mary, and we have the their different responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and their different responses are, are, can be associated with their different temperaments, their different personalities. And the you, uh, neat thing about it is, is Jesus meets, meets each one where they are to bring them to faith. He allows Peter and John just to fend for themselves. They, they're at the tomb, they realize that the tomb is empty and, and, and they, they survey the, the empty tomb. They see all, they see the, the cloth, the linen cloth, they see the handkerchief and they, they see everything nice and neat in the tomb. but uh, there's, there's no angels talking to them. There's no Jesus talking to them. It's just Peter and then John observing the empty tomb, they're the thinkers. They're the thinkers, and Jesus just lets them think and process life and and, and come to the conclusion, and they came to the right conclusion that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, and they come to faith. Mary, she's there also and realizes the tomb's empty, and she's weeping. Uh, She's soft-spoken. Jesus appears to her presents himself to her, even though she didn't recognize him at first. She thought it was the gardener. said, please tell me where you put him. I will go retrieve him. You know, she has a real soft heart, probably a worshiper, you know, just a real uh, heart of worship, enjoys worshiping God and loving on God. But Jesus reveals himself to, Mary, to her in person. And when she finally realized it was him, she cried out, teacher. She addressed him as teacher. Well, then we have Thomas. We want to look at Thomas and how he responded. We're going to read from John chapter 20. Uh, We'll begin reading at verse 24. Again, read the entire chapter and read chapter 21 and just uh, enjoy just doing an analysis there of how the different people responded to Jesus and how Jesus uh, manifested himself to them. Uh, Verse 24 says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wound of his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace, peace. your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hands into the the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So Thomas uh, referred to as a doubter, uh, Bible scholars, teachers, and preachers like myself many times are were hard on Thomas. We, you know, he's known as Doubting Thomas, but, you know, he did come to faith, and I don't know what you were before you believed, but I believe you're most likely a doubter. You, you doubt it, I so uh, you probably have some doubts now that you're wrestling with, and that's okay. Jesus did not condemn Thomas for being a doubter. He just simply, well, you'll find here that he met him where he was at so he also could come to faith. But he was a doubter, but he became a great believer. Thomas could be a stand-in for all of our skepticism that we have today, and for all the skeptics in our in, in our lives. Uh, it's a, a temperament that pays more attention to physical reality. Uh, pays attention to facts and hard evidence. And uh, that's okay. God is not intimidated no matter what your personality is. Some people take great pride and say, well, I'm, you know, I, I need fact. I need evidence. I'm, a, I'm an engineer by trade. And, you know, that's, 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 that's my vocation. And I need to have things figured out before I believe it. God's not intimidated by that. He created you. And he created engineering minds and he created different temperaments, and so it's okay. But you know, I want you to know that you really, it's not good enough to have that as an excuse to, to not come to faith. So anyway, uh, temperaments are great, but Jesus is willing to meet you where you are as we see here that he met Thomas where he is. Uh, Others uh, have philosophical objections, you know, to the doctrine of the resurrection. Uh, uh, There's an other way that... But what we'll see here is that there's an other way that Thomas might represent modern doubters as well or even represent us in our doubts today as well. Uh, We have to remember that Thomas... uh, Before he said, unless I see, I won't believe. Remember that he loved Jesus. He had been a disciple of Jesus. And for that reason alone, he may have been afraid to get his hopes up. The one that he was following, the one he was dedicated to, devoted to. All of a sudden, he sees him crucified at Calvary's cross. He sees him buried in a tomb. He sees the tomb being sealed by the stone and the Roman soldiers setting a seal on the stone and not only sealing it, but also setting a guard on it. In spite of everything that was done in the natural, Jesus was still resurrected from the grave. And so uh, Thomas is having a, you know, just a, a hard time wrapping his mind around this and he's afraid to get his hopes up. The other disciples were saying, Jesus is alive. And Thomas may be saying, yeah, you're telling me that, but I didn't see him. I wasn't here, and I I didn't see him, and I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. I'm not going to believe it. You know, he, he states his claim here. And he said that uh, in, in verse 25, that I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. So that was his, you know, he, that, the, he drew the line in the sand. He said, unless I have this evidence, I will not believe. I will not believe. It's too painful. Don't get my hopes up. Uh, there are many motives and reasons we have in life. And in, in our hearts and minds, reasons that create barriers uh, to having a confident hope, to allowing a confident hope take birth within us. It's, so, it, it's, a, it's really important in life that you develop a hope in God and just hope in general. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that now abide, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but we don't only want to be developing faith. We hear a lot of Christians, you know, committing and having conversation about developing, uh, becoming stronger in faith. And we hear a lot of talk and and attitudes towards, you know, love. I really need to develop myself in the love of God. I need to be a, a more loving person and also need to have a greater understanding of God's love for me. But very seldom do we hear people talking about I really need to develop a confident hope. I need to become a hopeful person. I need to stop being so pessimistic, and I need to, learn to, I, I need to learn to trust and have hope. Well, the Bible's teaching us that, you know, and Paul prayed that we would come to a place where we have a confident hope. A great expectation uh, of believing that the promises of God are yes and amen and that the reality of his promises are for us and they're not uh, for our benefit and they're not simply to frustrate us. So barriers, to, some barriers to confident hope, to, have, to developing a confident hope. Uh, I mentioned one I'm here with Thomas. It could very much be a part of your life as well. Uh, it'd be a fear of being disappointed. And I have to admit, as being a pastor for these uh, years that I've been a pastor, sometimes it's, it's uh, with fear and trepidation that you walk with people that get a diagnosis from the doctor that's not good. You only have X amount of months expectation to live or, or any other type of uh, uh, report, medical report. And it, it's with great fear and trepidation that you uh, try to set up a baseline and then to develop hope in people that have received that type of report, and, but not to, uh, not to frustrate them because many times the pushback is, don't get my hope up. Or I, sometimes I have to wrestle with feeling guilty for trying to make them feel too hopeful in this very hopeless situation. So it's a fine line to walk there, but I believe we can, we can walk that line. We can discover the perfect balance of faith, hope, and love by the wisdom and by the grace of God. And we do not back away from hope because things look hopeless, but recognize that in Christ Jesus, there's a hope that supersedes all natural, hopeless-looking situations. And all the people said, amen. I hope that's true. I hope it's true. I believe it's true. And I think that, uh, you know, the fear of being disappointed is something that we, uh, we want to wrestle through that and come to a place where I can have hope in the promises of God's word. Perhaps you have been uh, programmed with a worldview that says it, it, it can't happen. It's not possible. Dead people don't rise from the dead. It just, you know... Among other things, you may say this is just not possible because of my worldview. I, it, it's not, you know, that, that's silly. It just doesn't happen. Perhaps you uh, it just may be skepticism or uh, a cynical temperament. What, or uh, it may be you have several, or you may have a lot of objections to Christianity because what you have witnessed among Christianity in your life experiences. For some people, that's been a good experience, and for others, it has not been a good experience, and they blame Christianity on some of their frustrations and some of the hardships they have in life, and it's not, it's not a good testimony, but nonetheless, it's, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's not true. The Christians have, have not always done right, have not always believed right, have not always behaved right. The church... Christians collectively has not always done the right things. And perhaps you have objections to Christianity, to God's love for you, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because, because of what you have experienced in life, either personally or collectively as a church. You may be frustrated at the church's actions in response to, to current world events or his back in history, things that happened in, uh, historically, or you have no confidence that going forward that the church will have a proper response responds to the environment. So it may be the church's actions, or it may be the church's inactions that that have frustrated you and caused you to become skeptical and just cynical and just thinking, you know what, it's just, you know, Christianity must not be for real because of what I have experienced. So I'm going to challenge you this morning, even those of you that are watching online, you're not here, but you are watching, you are listening. Perhaps you haven't even intended to listen, but you're listening. Keep listening for the next couple moments here. I want to invite you to feel free to wrestle and to openly communicate any and all objections to Christianity and any and all objections to the church's track record, historically, present, or even what you think it may be in going forward. Just go ahead and be free to entertain them. Feel free to communicate them. Feel free to verbalize them. Just feel free to just feel free to own it for a few moments. Because what I want to do is I want to follow up with a question to you, to all of us, within, in, in light of any objections we may have. Thomas stated his objections. He's, you know, I didn't see him, and unless I see him, and unless I, unless I can see, and unless I can touch, I'm not going to believe. You have your objections. And, they may, and most likely they come out of a worldview or experiences that you've had in life thus far. But you take all of your objections and and write them all down and then ask yourself, do any of my objections to Christianity, do any of them, even though they may be right, they may be true, they may be real, I've experienced them, do they nullify the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because you strip Christianity down to the bare bones, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believing in that, that makes you a Christian. Nothing else. Everything else is added on to that. The church has done a good job, however you want to look at it, or a horrible job of adding on all types of rules and regulations and requirements, actions and inactions, do's and don'ts. And then we we have this very distorted picture of Christianity. But in spite of all your objections to Christianity, to life thus far, do any of them nullify? Do they mean, can you prove that Jesus Christ was not resurrected from the dead because of your objections? I submit that you can't. History will tell us that you can't do that. All historical facts that we have in our arsenal, scriptural and non-scriptural, just historical facts. They have a matrix that, historic, that history, historical facts have to put into it. They, they run them through a matrix, and they have to meet certain criteria for that to be decided upon that, yes, that event in history actually did happen, whether it's a, whether it's a biblical event or just a, a cultural event. And when you use the same criteria for the resurrection of Jesus Christ as what historians use for any other event in history, they, would, they all agree that the resurrection of Jesus Christ indeed did occur. It, historically, it is proven. The eyewitness accounts of it and just the, 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 the verbal testimony of it. It all points back to, yes, indeed, it did happen. And it caused Thomas to become, even though he was the greatest doubter, he became one of the greatest believers. Thomas goes from doubter to believer. Doubter to believer. Everyone say, doubter to believer. How did it happen? Well, first of all, he received the eyewitness testimony of his peers. Thomas's peers happened to still be alive when he received the testimony from them. Matter of fact, it was only eight days prior to it. They said, "You know, Jesus appeared to us." Thomas said, "I won't believe it unless I see it." Eight days later, they're in the room again, doors locked. Jesus shows up, and he says to Thomas, "Thomas, reach for, you know, reach out and touch me." And uh, that's what Thomas said he needed to do. He needed to see and he needed to touch. Jesus appeared again, and uh, Thomas dropped all his objection. He dropped it because of the witness of the eyewitness testimony. We have the same testimony, but it's a written testimony. Our testimony is the same as Thomas's, but it's written. It's historically documented. So we have written testimony. And my friends, when you read the New Testament, objectively, the gospels do not have the marks of fictional or oral tradition, but rather based on eyewitness testimony. Thomas saw that Jesus did not merely rise from the dead, but that he rose from the dead for him personally. What overcame Thomas's doubts? I believe it was Jesus appearing to Thomas and inviting him to see and to touch just as he had requested. And when Jesus invited him to see and to touch, there's no historical record that Thomas actually did reach out and touch the wounds or put his hands into his side. It doesn't say that he did that. Matter of fact, he just dropped all, he, he, he dropped everything that he, had, that he had requested, and he just proclaims, my Lord and my God. And that's my hope. That is my hope fervent hope for all of us here, for those that are watching online, is that we come to a place that we can surrender to Jesus Christ and we can declare him to be my Lord and my God. He exclaimed it. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Thomas, because you have seen and and you believe because you've seen. And he says, blessed are those who believe in me without seeing, without seeing. So when Thomas dropped his demand for physical evidence of touching and seeing, I believe because he he came to a place where he understood Jesus' wounds for what they really were. Not something that he needed to touch to prove that that it was Jesus, but he saw the wounds for what they really were, evidence that God loved him. Evidence that God loves us, all of us. That's what he saw it for, and that's when he surrendered, and he said, my Lord, my God. My God. The resurrection is proof that our debt was fully paid and that the power of sin and death over us is broken once and for all. And we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are made fully alive. We have birthed within us a confident hope of a new creation, and we are a part of a new creation, and we can look forward to that linear hope that in the kingdom of God, things are going to get brighter and brighter. In the world, things are dark, and they're going to continue to get darker. We don't fight that. We continue to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we continue to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because we have the hope of a resurrection. We have the hope of a bright future, a new heaven and a new earth. The power, the, the power of death and sin over us is broken. I want to invite you to stand up. And if you are here today or you're watching online and you've never made that uh, exclamation like Thomas did from his heart, he went from doubting, being a skeptic, being cynical to all of a sudden he's saying, my Lord and my God, meaning he came to faith in Jesus Christ. If that has never happened to you, let's just do that right now. Just just join all of us. Let's just join together. Let's just say, my Lord Lord and my God, I believe believe that you are resurrected from the dead. I I believe that through your shed blood and through your death and burial, And through the resurrection, the power of sin and the power of death over my life is broken. I receive the gift of eternal life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you blessed are you. You've seen, you believe, you're blessed even if you haven't seen and you're believing. Come to that place of comfort and hope. I'm going to invite you now just to pay attention to the song we're doing, uh, we're doing. (laughs) You're not going to do it? (laughs) Want me to do it? (laughs) You don't want me to do it. Trust me, I know what my lane is. (laughs) The worship team, the song that they're doing, you haven't heard it before here at church. It's it's a new song for us. It's called Same God, but it's a prayer and it's put to music. I want you to sing the song, enjoy the song, but I want to challenge you specifically to pay attention to the lyrics of it and make it personal because it talks about God being with us, God being your healer, God being present and touching your life and just a whole bunch of different promises in this particular. So pay attention to the lyrics. Sing it unto God as your prayer as we go out. And just open up your heart and let him fill you anew with his precious Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless.
1: Love endures to jail your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answer